Thanks for clicking play on the East Lake Tri-Cities Talks podcast. If you're new to this, we're trying to be the best church option for people in the Tri-Cities who aren't typically into church. We hope today's talk inspires you to take next steps in doing life in the way Jesus modeled and taught. If you're ever interested in being a part of one of our in-person gatherings, they take place every Sunday at the Uptown Theater in Richland. Check the website for current times. And regardless of what you look like, who you voted for, or where your tattoos are, we'd love to have you. But for now, here's our most recent talk. Well, good morning and welcome to Easter. Welcome to Easter Online. For those of you watching online or on replay, we're so glad that you're here. Thanks for making it in person for those of you who did that. Easter is always a fun event. I was doing the math this morning. I think this is my 11th Easter message. Um, And I've been a pastor for longer than that, but I was a youth pastor for a while. And when you're a youth pastor, they don't let you anywhere near these sort of things. This is exclusive to uh, being your own boss. And so it's... uh, a pleasure to be with you this morning and seeing some familiar faces and not so familiar faces. We're glad that you're here. Um, Easter is uh, an annual reminder for me. It's the same message if you've been coming to East Lake for any length of time. It's uh, it's the tomb's still empty every single year. It's crazy, and I still talk about it every year. Um, and uh, it's really, I, I highlight this every opportunity that I get to remind you, uh, if you've been coming for any length of time, that this is a celebration. Today's a celebration of an event. It's not a celebration uh, of like a, a day or or uh, something in, in general. A lot of times like July 4th, when you think of July 4th, I know it was initiated to be uh, a day to celebrate the signing of the Declaration of Independence, but like it's evolved from that, right? Now it's more more like a celebration of America in general. I don't know the last time you went to a barbecue and everybody was like, hey, gather around, gather around. We're going to reenact the signing of the Declaration of Independence. And that sounds like a barbecue I don't want to go to. So, uh, but this is different. This is not a celebration of Christianity. This is not, ooh, you know, good. Every, every Positive thoughts about vibes about Christianity today. This is a celebration of an event and your faith. If, you're, if you call yourself a Christian, the foundation of your faith is an event. It's not a book. The book came later. Uh, the church came later, right? Uh, those, th- those two things, the church and the book evolved because of the event, not the other way around. And that's a critically th- important thing to think about when it comes to, Christ- uh, to, to Christianity and, and what Easter is and, and what it represents for us. It represents an event that took place that we just, that like sparked, it was the spark that, that kind of kicked this whole thing off uh, for us. And that's what events do. Events cause us to kind of have these little phrases that we come up with where we say, I was there. Remember, have you ever been at an event that like is a shared common experience? Everybody talks about it, everybody knows about it and everybody's, talk, you know, whatever. And they're like, and you can say, I was there, right? If anybody's ever said, hey, did you hear so-and-so broke up? You know, and you're like, I was there when it happened. It's crazy. <laughs> I was there when they got together. I was, I was there when they broke up. It was, it was, it was amazing. If you've ever been to a sporting event that we are like, everybody talks about it the next day or even years later, right? You've never met somebody who was at the tip game uh, when, uh, when Richard Sherman tipped it to Malcolm Smith uh, against the 49ers and won the NFC, West, uh, NFC championship game uh, right back, however many years ago that was. You've never met somebody who was there who you brought that game up and they didn't tell you that they were there. Soon as soon as it gets mentioned, I was there, I was there, I was there when it happened, right? We're so aggressive with that. Do you remember the, um, do you remember the fail Mary game uh, when we played against Green Bay with the replacement refs and there was, an, there was an interception in the end zone, but was it really an interception, that sort of thing? I was there. I was there. We were there together, man. Maybe not together, but 
I was in the hawk's nest. I just wanted you to know that. I was there and they were not playing any replay. He can vouch for me. No replays on the screen. We're just standing there going, what? Did we win? Did we lose? For about 20 minutes, we just sat there going, you know, and it was, it was awesome. And I was there. It was awesome. So it's the testimony of I was there. And whenever I say that, whenever I'm, I, you know, that, that game comes up and, and we get brought up and this guy knows what I'm talking about. Like you, you, when you say you were there, everybody's like, oh, follow-up questions immediately. What was it like? What, what, you know, what, what did you see? And nobody ever challenges your thoughts on it. Whenever I go, I was there, here's what, here's what I saw. From the view of the Hawks and that's what I saw was, nobody was like, eh, that's not true. You're like, whoa, I, I mean, like, you weren't there. What do you know? I'm not trying to like, I'm not trying to talk you into going to there. There's, it's over and done with. There's no, this is not a persuasive sort of piece whatsoever. I'm just simply stating the fact of what happened. I was there. This is where I was sitting. This is what I was, this is what happened. And that's the cool thing about I was there. I was there. I was there. Now, I say all that uh, because what we have in the gospels and everything that we know about Easter comes to us from four different authors who wrote about it because they were there. That at some point in their life, they got to the spot where they're like, hey, it's been a few years since Jesus was on the scene and doing his thing. And I, I feel like I just need to leave some sort of a written record about what I saw and who, what, what was there. And I, I was there. I had this privileged opportunity of everybody that existed on any sort of timeline in the universe. I was present and alive during the time of Jesus. I feel like I need to kind of put this down on paper to kind of talk about who he was and what he taught and what, what we saw. Here's what I saw. Not again, not as a kind of like a, uh, I'm, uh, this is a sell piece. I'm trying to persuade you or talk you into something. That's not necessary. That's not the way to read these gospel stories. The gospel stories focus. This is just people going, here's what I saw. Here's what I saw. Do with it what you want, but here's what I saw. And what's interesting about all four gospel stories is that all of them kind of start in different places. Mark starts off with Jesus already being an adult. Matthew and Luke have a birth narrative. Uh, John kind of starts off with this like whole thing about like tying in the book of Genesis. In the beginning was the you know, word and the word was the God word. He's like, everybody who reads that goes, so they start off in different areas. And, and the, but the flow is, and the pace is fast. And then all of a sudden, uh, when it comes to Holy Week, all of them slow down. It's almost as if they all had the same idea about telling a story and we're all gonna kind of climax in the same spot. This, this Holy Week leading up to the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, that it's always about that. And, and everything moves fast. And some stories are included in Matthew and, Lar- and, and Mark, but not in Luke and John or vice versa or something like that. But then when it gets to the, 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 the narrative of Holy Week, they are, all, they are all in and they all have very detailed observations. It's like when you tell a story and you get down to the nitty gritty and you can tell you've got the, you know, the attention of somebody and you begin to go into details about what happened. That's what happens in Holy Week. And it's almost as if these people went, I was there. Listen, I was there when all of us, all of us disciples were in Galilee. That's where we kind of mostly hung out. I know Jerusalem's kind of the epicenter of the temple, but most of Jesus' ministry is up north in the town of Galilee. And he's like, and some of these disciples, but I was there when in Galilee, he decided and verbally communicated to all of us, he wanted to go spend Passover week in Jerusalem, which is not... Un, you know, unheard of. It's a common pilgrimage for a lot of people. Jerusalem during that week every year is packed, 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 packed. Tons of people. It's a big festival. It's a big feast. Uh, sometimes you have the obligation if we haven't been in a few years, we go. It's kind of like going to Disneyland at Christmas. It's great. Like the views are great. The crowds are terrible, right? You have to factor that in. Are you sure you want to go to Jerusalem for Passover? I want to go to Jerusalem for Passover. All right. 
And he goes, and when we go, here's what I want to do. I want to get a donkey and I want to ride it in a donkey, which he'd never done this before. And we, you know, I'm sure these people are going, we've gone, we traveled everywhere. It's always been on foot. And all of a sudden he wants a donkey. We didn't know what was going on. And then, then when we got there and we saw what was happening, you see his popularity had kind of grown and he was, uh, the word was getting around that he was going to show up this week. And, and all of a sudden crowds begin to line the streets and they begin to wave, wave palm fronds in, their, in the way and, and lay them down. And they begin to talk about Hosanna, here he comes in the line of David, like, all of a sudden they begin to speak as like this king of the Jews, like all this language that felt very, like we felt like something changed in that moment. The temperature on the whole situation went to an 11 in that moment, we realized. And then walk, he came coming in on a donkey. I get what he was trying to do there. Like a, a king would come in on this big giant horse that communicates power. He comes in on this pack mule that kind of communicates a sense of humility, not what you'd expect from a king, Right? So he does this whole scene and all of these, and we were there when people were screaming and, and yelling his name and showing up anytime he got a chance to talk because leading up in the week of uh, uh, leading up to Passover, there would be all kinds of, uh, everybody's in town. So everybody's talking, everybody's throwing parties, doing things. And when Jesus would sit together and he would talk, people would show up. It was the hottest ticket in town. It was standing room only. People are shoving each other to get in the way. And then he's talking, he's speaking in parables and he's, he's really getting to the core. Like people are asking questions and even the religious leaders, the Pharisees are showing up, but they don't want to be seen kind of, so they kind of hang out in the background and he talks to them and then he talks about them to others and they're there. It's, it was a crazy scene. I remember I was there. I saw it. This is what happened. This is what he said. This is how they responded. And I remember at night he would want to stay outside of the town. There was a sense of like secrecy. There was a sense of he had some sort of a, a plan in place. We didn't know what it was but he didn't want to stay in town because he didn't want things to happen too fast. It was almost like there was a timeline of, of events that he was trying to orchestrate. And so we would stay, we'd stay outside of town and we would come in during the daytime to be able to make this thing happen. And then I remember on, on, on Thursday night, uh, he, would, he wanted to celebrate Passover meal, which is fine. We were going to all do it. But he said, this time I want it to just be us 12 or us 13, the 12 disciples in Jesus. I want it to be a smaller group. And, and, and they said, we want, we want they're, 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 the whole event is centralized around a meal, a Seder meal that was kind of commemorative of the Israelites leaving and escaping the Egyptian slavery and bondage and into this new, in this new world. And there was food involved and it was a big deal. It was a big feast. Jesus is like, I want to do it with you guys. And they're like, that's great, Jesus. We would love it. But like, these are reservations. You got to make like a year in advance. You can't just like decide to do this one day. And he's like, don't worry, I've got it all orchestrated. You're going to go find somebody. You're going to go talk to somebody. She's going to be wearing a blue shirt. You talk to her. She's got a room. It's got already reserved. I'm, I'm making the blue shirt part up. That's the joke. But somehow it was all prepared. Like they showed up and there, there it was. And there was a room and they all, and they said, we went up to this, this the, down these streets that we didn't even know where we were going. We went up to this upper room and then we began to share this meal together, which is familiar. We've done this with our families growing up. We know how this whole thing works. And he begins to break the bread. And then as he breaks the bread, there's like a, there's like a formal talking that they're supposed to do, right? This is the, the bread that was unleavened that we didn't have time to even let raise because of how fast we escaped from the bond of, of Egypt. And yet when he breaks the bread, he doesn't talk about that. He talks about his body being broken and it was very, very confusing. Uh, but I was there and I saw it and, and then he began to talk about it, this wine and it's his blood and we we're like, this is weird, but you know, good wine at least. So we, it's, it's all kinds of different kind of crazy things going on. And, and, and I remember him looking at him, looking at all of us disciples, and saying, this body's been broken for you, and then encouraging us, and then giving us kind of a, a, here's what I want you to do. Here's how you go, and here's how you should respond. Here's the proper response to what I'm asking you to do. I want you to go, and I want, if you remember one thing about me, I want you to begin to love people 
in the same way that I have loved you. Have I not loved you over these last three years? And he begins, I think he probably went to each of these disciples. Peter, have I not loved you? John, have I not loved you? Matthew, you were a tax collector. You were somebody who sold out, who went to work for the Romans to gather taxes because they didn't want to do the dirty work. You were willing to sacrifice kind of your own personality and your, your honor as a, as a family. Like people would disgrace you. you. They would spit on you. You would be disowned from your family, but you did it because of greed, because it was a very wealthy occupation to do, even though like it wasn't looked, it was frowned upon and, and very much looked down upon, you did that. And I came to you and all of my disciples watched me go to you. And, and I'm sure they were thinking, yeah, go tell him, man, go, go rip into that guy. And then I said, follow me. And everybody's like, what, what are you doing? N- not him. Why would you invite Somebody like Matthew. Matthew, you remember when, when, when I invited you to do all, to, to follow me, to leave behind this? And I'm sure Matthew's like, I've never experienced that kind of love before. Even my family doesn't talk to me. And yet you invited me to be in the club. And I left everything and I followed you. Yeah, that type of love. That's the type of love I'm talking about. Listen, the way that I have loved you, I want you to go love other people. And here's how people will know you are one of my disciples. Not because of some hat that you wear, not because of the way that you dress, not because of a tattoo on your body or a necklace that you wear or earrings in your ears. They will know you are my disciple, not by your Twitter bio or your Facebook posts or how many bumper stickers you have on your car, the t-shirts that you wear. They will know they must be one of those Jesus people by the way that you love. That will be the defining thing. That will be the one thing that people will be like, that must be one of them Jesus people. Nobody else would live in the way that they did it. And then he broke the bread and he did the whole thing. And then he had a conversation with Judas. I remember I was there when he had the conversation with Judas. Something went sideways. All of a sudden Judas left and Jesus was in this like funk and he's like, we need to leave. I need to go pray in a garden. So I, I, remember, I remember we all got up. We went to the, at, just outside the city walls again. That's where we kind of did it, went at night. And we begin to pray in the garden and we're sitting there and he wanted some space and some time alone, which is totally understandable for him. And he's obviously praying. I remember him praying really hard, like just in deep anguish. And we were exhausted. It had been the busiest week of our lives. And Jesus came over and said, please stay awake with me and and pray and kind of support me in this way. And we're like, absolutely. And before his back was turned, John's falling asleep. Peter's falling asleep. They're all falling asleep. We're trying to keep ourselves awake, but we couldn't do it. And then something woke us up. And I remember what woke us up. It was the sound of men entering into the garden, but not just any men. It was metal on metal. It was, it was guards. It was, it was people who were about violence. It was, it was, there was torches, but we didn't need to, them to announce their names. We know exactly who it was. Something was about to change and we could feel it in the air. And we, we uh, were, were so desperate. We were there in that moment, but we would rather have been anywhere else in that moment. And we, we didn't know how to react. In fact, at one point, Peter pulled out his sword, cut off a guy's ear. Jesus then healed that and fixed that. And we were like, this has is, this is gone sideways. Jesus is arrested. Judas betrays him with a kiss so to identify him. He's then hauled off. And we are in a state of confusion. We don't even know what to do. We're afraid for our own lives. We're afraid to now be associated with this person. In fact, Peter, um, it, when asked by a teenage girl, hey, weren't you one of the disciples that were with him? We saw you. I saw you in like the streets with him. And he's like, no, nah, I don't even know that guy. Out of self-preservation denies he even knows him. Peter, one of his like top three, unbelievable. Peter's hauled before Pontius Pilate, who in that time is a governor. He's not Jewish. He's from Rome. Probably made somebody mad and got put in Jerusalem. 
This was not a prized spot to be in. You didn't want to be here for long. You came here, you did your time, you moved on. Closer to Rome, closer to home, closer to money. Doesn't want to be here. Doesn't like these people. These people clearly are way too wacko religious. Everything about them is all just this religious fervor. And they'll do anything and everything. And my goal... Pontius Pilate would say, is to keep the peace, to do whatever I can so that there's not riots, that there's not this and not that. And it's just people who pay taxes and shut up. That's what I want. And then that morning, Jesus is brought before him from the religious leaders saying, we want this man punished. He's claiming to be a son of God. We want punishment done to him that we are not legally obligated or uh, allowed, available to us to be able to do. We, can, we have certain levels of punishment that you allow us to do, but we want, the, we want it more than that. So that's why we're bringing him to you, Pilate. Would you please punish this person the ways that we can? Pilate begins to interview him. So what is this that people have about you? What is another religious squabble? And you guys in your religion, what's, what, what, what is it this time? And Jesus says, what, what, what questions do you have for me? Well, who are you? What are you doing? Why are people saying that you're claiming to be the son of God? Why are they claiming that you are claiming to be the king? You know that Caesar's king. You know that military allegiance and and allegiance is a big deal. And you know what I could do to you if you're trying to incite a riot and incite a a thing against, a a revolt against the, the government, against the empire. And Jesus is saying, Listen, my kingdom is not of this world, right? Oh, so you are a king. And Jesus says, what you're saying is truth. And then Pilate responds with the infamous question, what even is truth? Like, I don't even know what is true anymore. Everything I know is kind of up for grabs. There's something about Jesus that Pilate likes. He's trying to give him an out. He keeps trying to be like, all you gotta do is say it's not you. Say that it's not, and I can, I can free you. Do you not know that I have the power to let you go? And Jesus says, you have no power except what is given to you by God. And Pilate's like dumbfounded. He's like, I don't even know what to do with you. He goes in front of the people and says, I find no cause to be able to persecute or punish this man. It seems like he's done nothing. It seems like another religious quabble that you guys need to figure out for yourselves. And then thinking he's gonna curry the favor of all the people. How about, how about I do something for you? How about you clearly liked him, you waved palm fronds for him just a few days ago. What if I choose out of my graciousness to release a prisoner to you? And, they, they, uh, they, and he says, I'll, I'll release Jesus, he's fine, and we can wash. And whatever he did, it's now under, it's been paid for or whatever, right? And they say, we don't want him, we want Barabbas. Give us an actual criminal. And Pilate's dumbfounded. He's like, I'm, I'm giving you this person who seems like a decent guy and you want somebody who is convicted, a, a convicted felon back on the streets? What is wrong with you people? That's why I hate it here. I don't understand you guys. That's essentially what's going on with this. And he's like, fine. What do you want me to do with Jesus? And the same people who said, Hosanna, Hosanna, here, you know, here he comes in the name of the Father begin to kind of change the tune and like this mob mentality. A couple people started off and then all of a sudden crucify him, crucify him. I mean, Pilate can't even believe his ears. I'm sure Jesus' followers can't believe their ears. Are you kidding me? Crucify him? Do you know what crucifixion was reserved for? The worst of the worst. We are gonna expose your bodies in the most publicly humiliating manner possible to send a message to everyone else. Don't follow in the footsteps of this person or this two could end up like you. We'll do it right on the freeway. We'll do it right on the side of the road that you can't miss it when he comes into town. And we leave the bodies decomposing up on those things so that you get a real taste of what happens when you step up against Rome. Don't do it. That's what crucifixion was. 
big deal. And they're saying, crucify him, crucify him. And Pilate is like, I don't even know how to handle this. Listen, do whatever you want with him. I wash my hands of this. I don't want anything to do with this. Your blood or his blood is on your hands. And then he allows and releases Jesus to be crucified. And he's taken and taken into the courtyard and uh, publicly beaten, publicly whipped within basically uh, an inch of his life. A crown of thorns is put upon his head. He's stripped of his clothes. And uh, then uh, a cross is, is created for him. And on top of that cross, this is, I always think, a really interesting part of this Easter story. On top of this cross is a little sign that's usually some sort of a message that Rome is trying to communicate to the people. You know, here's, here's the crimes of this person, in case you were wondering if, you know, you could get away with this, right? And the, Jesus' crime, the one that's posted on the top, it's just this king of the Jews. And the religious leaders come back to Pilate a little bit later and be like, hey, we saw that you put that sign uh, his charges was that he was the king of the Jews. We would like for you to change it to this man claimed to be the king of the Jews. And Pilate refuses their offer. No, I've written what I've written. I'm good. I love it. It's almost like he's trying to process through, I don't even know who I'm dealing with here. This is the best that I can do. I don't think he is what you're claiming him to be. I don't know what he is, but like there's, an, there's a respect, there's a something there. Not enough respect not to kill him, but I wash my hands of it and I'm not gonna change uh, the sign based on your asking me to do. Now, all of these disciples then writing, slow down dramatically, it is at a snail's pace. It is at a turtle's pace, according to our video. We watched him be crucified. We watched as they bartered for his clothing. We watched as blood ran down. We watched as nails would be pierced into his wrists and into his feet. And the point of crucifixion was not that you would lose so much blood that you would eventually pass out and die. Uh, in fact, you probably never got to that spot. It would be suffocation uh, from lack of oxygen because you would ha not have enough blood in your body to be able to lift yourself up to be able to get a deep breath. You would often die by asphyxiation. That's how crucifixion sort of worked. It was gruesome, it was ugly, it was brutal. And we, at, we, we watched all of that begin to take place and it, would, it wouldn't be fast, it would be slow. The longer, the better, oftentimes in the, from the torture standpoint of things. We saw Jesus ask some of his disciples to take care of his mom because he wasn't gonna be around to be able to do that. I was there when that happened, right? Um, I, I remember some of the disciples would say, I saw a man named Nicodemus who we knew to be like this, like this civil leader, political leader. Um, and there was kind of rumors that he was a Jesus follower, but he never like did it publicly. It was always very, very secret. And in that moment, he like cashed in some favors. He went to Pilate directly and called in a favor, a political favor. Can I please bury my savior? Oh, you're one of the Jesus guys. Yes. I know it's been kind of secret. I've been kind of keeping it hush. But in this moment, I would like to kind of cash in whatever chips that I have. I would like to ask a favor. I, according to my tradition that I come from, the moment life leaves a body, you need to get it into the ground as soon as possible. To leave it out exposed to the elements would be uh, against our tradition. So I'm asking for a favor to be able to do this. Must have had some sort of influence with, with Pilate. Pilate allows him, gives him the green light to be able to do so. 
And it says that then Nicodemus, and I don't know if him personally, but we watched as either he personally or, or, or uh, him and, and friends begin to peel Jesus' body off of this, uh, off, of, uh, off of it, and then haul it away and wrap it up, but loosely. And the time was not on their side. It was almost in the evening. And we all know like Friday night, that's when Sabbath starts and you're not supposed to be able to do work at that time. So they just rushed him into this family tomb that was kind of nearby. We didn't really know where it was, but something cut into the cave or a natural cave or something like that in this family tomb. And then we watched as they kicked away uh, the brace that was holding this big giant stone and it fell into place forever sealing this tomb. And it was the most eventful 24 hours of our life. Jesus' disciples would say, and we have in all four gospels, we were there, this is what we saw. The craziest 24 hours that we had. We know exactly where we were when it dawned on us, the reality that it sounds like and it looks like and it feels like it's over. Because Jesus did the one thing you weren't supposed to do as a Messiah, die. He broke the only rule. There's only one rule, don't die. No matter how bad things get, you're the Messiah. There's, you're working some angle, something, somehow, some way is gonna come through. Listen, the matrix would have sucked if Neo died, right? <laughs> you don't die when you're the Messiah. And they're watching him going, even up to the last moment, probably even as he's dying on the cross and everything's happening in the blood. And even as the spear goes into his side and what comes out, it's blood and water, not just blood, but water as well, showing that the body decomposition has already begun to take place. Like these people were professional killers. This is what they, they knew how to do this. This was not an accident. Jesus was not hanging on by like a, a hair of his life. He was almost dead, but not quite dead. That was kind of a big thing that kind of came out. No, these were, these were men who were so uh, good at their job and so demanded of that if they had killed somebody who found out later that he hadn't really been killed and he was actually alive, they would have lost their life. Their lives were on the line. They would make sure he was good and dead. That is absolutely true. And we saw all of this happen. And in that moment, we thought, it's over. We lost. We're on the losing team. We wasted three years of our life. We invested everything we knew into this relationship and into this thing. And now it's just nothing. And we're dealing with the disappointment. We're dealing with disillusionment. If you've ever thought something, if you thought this job is going great, this relationship, we love each other, actually, right? And you're like, what? That disillusionment, imagine that taking place. For us in today's, Time. This is just a story. This is a story that you expected to kind of be reenacted at some degree on, on Easter Sunday at a church, right? We've read this story before. We even saw the movie once, like Mel Gibson produced it before he went sideways on us. But it was like, I, we know how this happened. This is not probably shocking information or even new information. And yet it's a reminder, so important, when you read the Gospels and read, read the Gospels, this is them saying we were there and this is what we saw. And it doesn't come across, if you actually read these things, it doesn't come across as a sales pitch. There's not an altar call at the end. There's not an offering that gets to say, we're gonna pass a bucket now. We're gonna do this. I don't know what kind of a church you grew up in, but that, that's not what this story shows up as. It wouldn't have lasted this long. It's simply a bunch of people saying, I'm just telling you what I saw. And then comes the crazy part of the story. And then what they saw blows all the doors off of what we expect out of reality. Mary Magdalene says on Sunday, Easter, I didn't know it was Easter Sunday. They didn't call it Easter Sunday. I woke up on Easter Sunday. They would never have said that. It was just, it's Sunday, Sabbath is over. 
This is even before they started calling it the Lord's Day or Church Day. This was just a normal day of the week for them. On the day that wasn't Sabbath, I got up in the morning and I went out to where the, I knew the tomb was. And it doesn't say why Mary Magdalene went. I don't think it was because she's like, today's the day, right? I don't think she was expecting anything. She's not over there counting down from 10 at sunrise going 10, nine, right? Nothing like that. She probably went to a place that had decent memories for her. Like you go to places that have memories for you and be like, I go here, not because I'm trying to reenact the past or bring something back, but like, this is a, a place of peace for me. This is a, I go to a, a, a cemetery to remind myself of all the stories I had about dad, right? She goes to the tomb to reenact that for some sort of closure too. I mean, this all happened incredibly fast and she sees a, a stone that has been rolled away, not back on its like propped up, but like just not even there. And she's like, what is going on? She peeks in. Different stories have different things about what took place, right? Different things. But then she, what we do know is she ran back to the house where all the disciples are at. And she runs in and she's hyperventilating. She's you know, exhausted. Everybody's exhausted. Everybody's fearful of their life. They're all trapped inside of a house thinking if ever, anybody finds out that we were the ones that were one of his 12, like our life is on the line too. I saw what they did to Jesus. Even if they do half of that to me, that's not great. So they are hiding and she comes bursting through the door saying, they've taken my Lord, they've taken my Lord. Something has happened, something has happened. Immediately it says that Peter booked it out, right? And John says, I saw Peter run out of the building and I thought to myself, this, I'm making this part of it, I gotta go save him from himself. I've seen what he's capable of. Remember in the garden, he breaks out his sword and cuts off a guy's ear. I don't know what Peter's gonna do in this moment. He needs my help. So then John records, Peter left early, but then I left immediately. I left a little while after that. And then what I love about it is his, he says, I remember outrunning Peter on the way to the tomb, which is a fantastic detail of this story. I love it so much because honestly, that, Peter's probably like, hey, that feels like a little unnecessary that you have to include that, right? I mean, like that feels like a detail I would have included too if I was writing this. That's why I love the humanity involved in this because I'm telling you, one of our singers is Ryan. He's one of my best friends. If we were ever running somewhere and I beat him in a race to wherever we were going, I would let you know about it on Sunday morning. We went there. I, I mean, I got there first, but we went there together. Absolutely love that part of this story. And then John says, when I showed up, I didn't even, I was so disoriented. I didn't even go into the tomb. I saw the stone rolled away, but I, I like, what are you doing? What is happening here? Peter went inside, saw some, Claws like folded up, but like, it didn't look like a crime scene, but it was something was different. We didn't know. And we began to talk about what was possibly, what happened? What is, what is going on here? What do, we, what do we do with this? And neither of us had really a great explanation for it. And, and it, it makes sense that they would come up with all kinds of far-fetched things. Somebody stole the body. Somebody uh, it, it rolled this away and, and the grave robbers were a thing. So that, that could have been the case, but this is kind of a fresh deal and, and probably didn't bury them with anything. So it's kind of a weird deal, but it, it's, a, it's amazing probably the stories that they had. They, they began to go back home and stories began circulating of Jesus sightings. People going, I think I just saw Jesus. I heard, I ran into somebody who said they saw Jesus and all of a sudden these things, and the words came out and began to be impossible. And that's impossible, that's impossible. It is impossible. I mean, like everyone that you've ever known who has died has stayed dead. That's true for them too. They're not like suckers who would fall for this so easy. That's a very conceited concept. Well, they're dumb, but like we, we are so smart. Like they were just as smart. Everybody that they'd known had always stayed dead. So then when these it, these rumors start coming out. He's not dead anymore. 
it's not surprising that they would go, that's not it. That's gotta be something else. There's other things that would make more sense than that. Arthur Conan Doyle, the guy who wrote Sherlock Holmes, put in the mouth of Sherlock Holmes, when you have eliminated the impossible, whatever remains, however improbable, must be the truth. They were going through improbable hypotheses, but that makes way more sense than the impossible situation. But eventually, too many stories begin coming out. We've seen him. He appeared here, he talked to here, he showed up here, he showed up here. One person specifically, his name is Thomas. I love him. He's like, this sounds great, guys. I mean, listen, uh, I understand. I want him to be alive too, but that's just not reality. He's using his, his he, he's coming at it from a very reasoned approach. People who die stay dead. I would have to put my fingers in the holes of his hands and the holes of his feet in order for me to believe. I don't care who you bring in front of me to be like, I saw him too. I don't know him. I don't know her. Why would I believe them? And it says, the story says that in the middle of this room as they're all there, Jesus eventually shows up. There's a crazy story about him like walking through the door or walls or something. I mean, you gotta read it for yourself. That's in your own time. But all of a sudden, however he gets there, Jesus is on the scene and Thomas looks at him and Jesus has this conversation with him. He's like, Thomas, I heard that like, you're not believing all this stuff about me. He's like, how could I, Lord? I mean, like, do you fault me for that? Like, this is insane. And Jesus reaches out his arms and his hands and says, see, Thomas, come, feel. You, you said you won't believe until you touch. See, feel, touch. And Thomas's only response, and I, I imagine he, I don't know how long the period of time is between him being there and this happening. Sees, feels, touches, talks, and goes, his only response is, my Lord and my God. My Lord and my God. What do you do when you come and have an encounter with a Jesus, a resurrected savior, somebody who beats death, who beats the thing that nobody else beats and changes the whole game and changes everything about it and then provides some sort of a hope for life beyond this life? You look at it and you go, my Lord and my God. What else could we say in this? And Matthew then, one, again, Jesus' disciple, who's the tax collector, the one who was shown an incredible amount of love, was probably, and one of the most detailed, when you read Matthew's story, I think they put it up front because of the detail and the uh, authenticity of somebody who like did taxes and did money and all of the details. He was a details-oriented guy. And they put it at the front of the gospel stories. So I was there when Jesus gathered us all back together on the top of a mountain. This is when he's now appeared to quite a few people. And he, he told us, I want to tell everyone who, I want you to tell everybody who will listen. I want you to tell them everything that you know about me. Tell everyone who will listen what it is that you have seen. Which is why I felt compelled, if I'm Matthew, to write down what I wrote. Luke would say, that's why I felt compelled to write down what I saw. And Luke and Mark and John, here's what we saw. Here's what we saw. I'm not trying to persuade you. It's not a sales job. It's not anything else. I'm just telling you what it is that we experienced and, and how we responded to it. Do with it what you will. Maybe we wipe our hands of it and say, I, I don't even know how to respond. What is truth anymore? Or maybe we look at it and we go like Thomas, we go, my Lord and my God. But the invitation at Easter and every Easter is to celebrate an event that we actually believe happened, that took place, that changes the game for us from a cosmic standpoint, that God, the God, the thing that may or may not exist out there made himself known in the presence of a person showed up and invited us into a new way 
of seeing and doing life. And the invitation still stands to us today. May we see with fresh eyes for individuals who simply told this story in this way to say, here is what we saw, do with it what you will. May we be the type of people who respond. So we're gonna receive communion now. It's kind of a sacrament of our church and the church and churches across America and across international lines and across the world and through the centuries have celebrated two things, baptism and communion together as a way of reenacting this, both dying to Christ and, and, and dying to our old self and rising to new life in him through baptism and then also remembering and never forgetting the sacrifice that was made in his presence uh, in, this, uh, in this world. So I'm gonna invite, we've got a couple communion services that are gonna come up to the front. We're gonna have two stations on either side. There's a lot of people here today uh, and so it's this might take a little while. Um, just trust me, stick with it. It's going to be fantastic. You're invited, but not obligated to at any point during the next song. Slip out of your seat, make your way to the front, grab one of those little cups. There's a little wafer on top. Good luck getting that wrapper off on top. I know it's hard. It's a challenge. I got faith in you. Uh, and there's some juice uh, to be able to kind of, again, do exactly as the disciples did. He said in that, that evening, do this in remembrance of me. And the churches said, yes, sir, we do it. We're going to make it happen. So uh, we're receiving communion. Um, and if, uh, if you want, you're welcome to just obviously stay in your seat and refl reflect on the music. I will come up at the very end uh, and do a dismissal. But would you stand real quick? We're going to pray. Father, our prayer is, one, we are so incredibly thankful and grateful uh, for people like Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John who wrote what they saw, simply telling the story. And then thousands of years later, people like us gathering in a church to figure out what we're going to do with it that we hear it, we respond, and we uh, are given the opportunity to uh, engage with this, for you to stir our hearts, to be like, what if this is real? What if this was true? What if Jesus was who he said he was? What if the game is changed? What if everything I know is now a little bit different and I'm required or expected or uh, have the opportunity to look through things through the lens of, of Jesus? And what if I respond to that invitation to have my life marked uh, by him through the way that I love uh, and uh, engage in the world? And uh, God, give us wisdom to know what we are called, what you're stirring in our hearts to do with this and the courage to do something about it in your name. Thanks again for listening. If you've got more questions about the church or community group options for connecting with East Lakers outside of Sunday mornings, I'd encourage you to check out our website, eastlaketricities.com, or better yet, download our app by searching East Lake Tri-Cities in your favorite app store.